glad you guys are here with us this morning. It's nice to see um, so many of you dressed up today for church. That's awesome, especially the high schoolers. You guys, well done. Way to set the stage for everyone else. Was there something else this weekend? Nothing? Okay. That's good. I like the bow tie. We're glad you guys are here with us, and we want to encourage you just to join in with us. We're, there, there's kind of a progression through these songs this morning, and one of them uh, is first to just declare who God is. We need to do that, right? We need to get in here together. We need to declare God is so good, He's so great, and fix our eyes on Him. And then in the midst of that, in the, in the um, understanding of how great God is, Holy cow, do we need him. Amen? And so that's what we're going to sing next. Lord, I need you. And then we're going to finish with a song called Majesty and just to sing about standing in the holiness of God, trembling because he's so great and yet in perfect peace because of Jesus Christ. And I can't wait to just uh, go through this together with you this morning and to, to be reminded of who God is and how desperately we need him and how perfectly and faithfully he is uh, committed to answering our prayer when we cry out. Amen? So let's worship together this morning.
Father, we worship you this morning, and we're thankful that we can bring you our imperfections, our, our cares, our worries, our, uh, our desires, ourselves. And so, God, as we, as we uh, sing this last song in, in declaration that uh, we are here and we are offering ourselves, and even as, as we take our offering now together as a body, Lord, would you be glorified? Would you help us to, to fix our eyes on our great God? to be humbled by your majesty and to be covered by your grace so deep. And so, Lord, would we give this morning in an attitude of of surrender and joy for your glory and for our good as we declare our need for you and we declare your goodness. Would you remind us that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Here I am, humbled by your majesty, covered by your grace so free.
You are true, you are holy, you are majestic, you are great, and you are God. And we are your people, covered in the blood of your son Jesus, who you gave to us. And you rose him from the grave, that we can come and be forever with you. Man, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and what you have made us in your son. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. It's good to uh, sing alongside you and worship alongside you this morning. Uh, VBS is coming up at the end of June, and here's Becky Williamson to tell you a little bit more about that. Good morning. Uh, A couple of things for you to know about the way that we do Vacation Bible School here. One is that that this is an outreach event, so be um, prayerfully watching for who you can invite this summer. Um, kids or friends of your kids or neighbors or uh, relatives, perhaps strangers, but I'll leave that up to you. Um, And the other uh, thing for you to know is that this is a family event, and by that I mean your family and I mean our family here. There's a spot for everybody to get involved, um, and that doesn't mean that each of you has to sign up to take care of preschoolers that week, so don't worry. Um, But VBS Central is set up back by Guest Connections. It will be there every Sunday from now through VBS, and um, I hope you have that date on your calendar, by the way. So watch the program or find that date, get that on. Um, But stop back there on Sundays and find out how you can get involved. There are items to donate, um, work nights to be involved in, of course, signing up for the week of, many opportunities. So check that out and jump on board. Thanks. Thanks, Becky. Um, one of the organizations that uh, we've been supporting for uh, the past couple of years is called She is Safe. And Bob, you want to come on up? Um, Bob Knapp is with us, and Bob is kind of uh, the representative for She is Safe here locally. And so give us an up- update of how uh, God is at work in Mali, Africa, how we can be praying for them and partnering with them in prayer. Thanks. Good to be back here with you. It's been a- almost a couple of years. Some of you were introduced to Pastor Noah and his wife, Fati, just before uh, they returned to Mali. And some of you, this will be brand new news. Shia Staff is a ministry that's committed to the prevention, rescue um, of women and girls that are being exploited in the most difficult areas of the world. And um, we want to bring about changed lives, growing them with freedom and faith and a strong future. And that's our single focus, women and girls. And unfortunately, there's a huge need for us to address that issue. And specifically, I'm going to share with you about Mali. The primary issue that we deal with there are temporary wives. Muslim men can have four legal wives, but they can also take temporary wives. And what will happen very often in the city of Timbuktu where we work and throughout that nation is a businessman will travel and he will go into... uh, one of the poor areas of the city, and he'll find a young girl, and typically they're between the ages of 9 and 12, and he will make an offer to marry the girl. And great promises for the family, great promises for the girl. She's going to be well taken care of. And um, 
he's going to provide some finances for the family. So it's a win-win for everybody, except that he knows that he's not going to be around very long. And he takes her and has his way with her. And then after a period of time when he leaves, all he has to say is, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Three times. Just like that, walks away. She has nothing. Girls are not normally educated. Girls have no skills. What's that leave for this girl in a society who now, because it's shameful for her, if she'd have been a good wife, he would have remained married to her. What's that leave? Begging and prostitution. So, here comes the church. Pastor Noah and Fatih identified that if they began to minister to these hundreds of young girls, that God would do a significant work. And so they began that work, and we joined them. If I can change the slide for you, please. TNT Ministries is the uh, NGO that they have identified and um, gives oversight to the training base in Mali. And um, this is only one element of their particular ministry is the women's ministry. Next slide, please. <clears throat> We're committed to the meeting the physical, economic, spiritual needs of the most vulnerable Muslim women in order to bring about holistic change in their life. They have no voice whatsoever. And somebody has to come along and help speak for them and to provide change and hope. And that's what the Women's Center does for them. Next slide, please. I want to educate you a little bit about where Mali is. If you're like me, I've been involved in international ministers for over 30 years. And when I was asked to <coughs> take up this particular position, I'm going, where's Mali? Well, it's inland, and uh, next slide, please. Two-thirds of it from basically that narrow area all the way to the north is the Sahara Desert, and it is incredibly desolate, and it is difficult to get to. You really have to want to go there to get there. And uh, unfortunately, um, war has broken out, and I just want you to be sure to see Bamako in the south, which is the capital city and relatively safe, and Timbuktu in the north, the last city before you would push north on into the Sahara Desert. Next slide, please. War broke out in 2012. By God's grace, all the Christians were able to escape either to neighboring countries or to the south. And... Um, most of our people went to the south, and we were able to continue on with the work, establishing the Women's Training Center in Bamako, and they were there for about a year and a half. Next slide, please. In the meantime, we lost everything. There was nothing to go back to, it would seem. And yet, next slide. It got worse. A bounty was issued for Pastor Noah and his wife for proclaiming that Jesus is the only name given to man under heaven by which we must be saved. A fatwa says that their life can be taken any place in the world at any time. It will not be rescinded, and it remains in place today. This photo was taken uh, almost two years ago, come this June, right out in back. That's your cornfields and bean fields out here, or it belongs to somebody. It's your neighbor's. Um, and they left two months later to return to Mali, even with the fatwa on their head. They currently remain in the south in Bamako. Too dangerous for them to go to the north. Next slide, please. God provided a home for them there, which was phenomenal. Next slide, please. God said, go back to Timbuktu. There's no infrastructure. There's no possibility of your being able to sustain yourself. But out of obedience and out of faith, they returned. Next slide, please. This is going to be our second class that we're going to graduate here in just another few weeks. And the current 40 disposable women. 
We have 40 that we're able to provide for on the limited budget that we have. We could take hundreds. And we have hundreds of application every year. Next slide, please. Provide literacy training for them. Next slide. Embroidery and crochet. Next slide. And after four years of no sewing machines, God finally provided this year, and we're very excited for them to be able to develop those skills once again. They were all stolen um, in the Sharia law period, and so um, these girls will be able to create, um, out of some great patterns, uh, items that will be much more saleable than the embroidery and crochet, even though God provides through that. Next slide, please. Most importantly, biblical training. Over 90% of our girls, so if you have 40 girls, you're going to see over 35 of those girls make decisions for Christ. That's incredible odds. Don't we wish we could do that with all of our neighbors here so closely? It's very exciting to see God moving in the hearts of these ladies who now understand that they have great value and God loves them unconditionally. Next slide, please. Unfortunately, 2015 December, tragedy struck. Two of our people just finishing up a message being broadcast on the radio on peace, stepped outside the gate with a visitor, and they were murdered. Pastor Noah says to me, Bob, some things I can tell you by email, some things I can tell you by phone. And some things I can only tell you face to face. The persecution is intensifying for us. And yet, next slide please. The people remain and God has sustained them against all odds. It, there's just no logical explanation that this should be the case. And yet, God's there, God's providing. Next slide please. So. Our prayer focus would be, <clears throat> next slide, please. Certainly for Pastor Noah Infanti. They give oversight to the TNT Ministries 900 miles away. The rebels know where they're at. And it's only by grace that they're being sustained. But that's via our prayers. So I would ask you to please be faithful in praying specifically for them. They also give oversight to all the Baptist churches and outreaches. And um, he's translating uh, the Bible, uh, assisting in uh, the Fulani language, which is more to the south, and three or four other projects. I think the guy sleeps maybe about three hours a night. He's a phenomenal man of God. Next slide, please. Peace and security throughout Mali. It's certainly is not a safe place to go to the point that, that Noah has said, Bob, you can't come. We were scheduled to go and do some training uh, in February of this year, and he said, no, you can't come. For spiritual and economic well-being of the Christians, for safety and growth of our 40 students. Now think about these, these ladies. They're Muslim by birth. They're disposable. Nobody wants to have anything to do with them, and yet they're going to go and hang out with the Christians. It's a lot of pressure put on these ladies, and yet they're faithful to come on a daily basis because they're so hungry, both to be equipped with some tools that they can provide for their families, but more importantly, for the love of other peoples and the love of Christ. And so they come. And God's continued blessing for the faithful staff and their families. I asked myself, Bob, would you take you, yourself, and your wife, and remain in such a tenuous circumstance? I want to say that I would have enough faith to do it, but frankly, I don't know that any of us can answer the question until we're actually put in that position. So I have great affirmation admiration for these faithful ones. Next slide, please. 
And in spite of the persecution, this Thursday, they'll be out knocking on doors, sharing the hope that they have within them. Every first Thursday of the month, they'll do youth outreaches. There are 16 church plants in North Mali, and God is sustaining them. And certainly, additional financial partners and prayer partners. So, I'll be available after the service. I have some questions about the ministry. Love to share with you. So I would encourage you to stop by um, table back there by the front door to find out more about uh, She is Safe as well as um, just encouragement about how to pray uh, with them and for them in the coming weeks. Uh, some Crosspoint family news we want to share with you uh, this morning. Bob Schaefer passed away. Um, it was uh, February last year that he was uh, diagnosed with a brain tumor and has uh, had a couple surgeries um, over the, the past several months. And uh, this morning he passed away uh, peacefully at home. And so just be uh, praying for their uh, family, um, Bachmans and Schaefer's in this time as they grieve because as the body of Christ we grieve alongside them. And yet um, um, Bob knew Jesus. Bob trusted in Jesus, and so there's one person who um, is not grieving. There's one person who is not um, uh, sad today, and so we rejoice at that hope, and yet on this side, we grieve uh, and we trust, and so uh, be praying for them, um, especially today, but uh, just in the coming days, all right? Uh, let me pray for them, and then we'll get into the message. Uh, Father God, I uh, <clears throat> just pray that you would uh, comfort um, Bachmans and Schaefer's and their uh, extended family as they grieve the loss of a uh, father, a grandfather, a husband. Um, I pray that you would um, just thank you for the promise that you're near to the brokenhearted and that you comfort. And um, I pray that uh, you would help us all to rejoice in the, in the hope that we have in you and the hope that uh, Bob uh, clung to for over the past year plus. Um, God, thank you for the testimony of their marriage, their family, as they've trusted in you in this time. And I pray that you would be um, just ever so present uh, with them right now and then help us as a body of Christ to be able to love and encourage them, pray with them, and grieve with them in this time. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, get to the book of Judges. <clears throat> um, if you don't have a good Bible, then please get one at uh, Guest Connections after the service. And uh, take that home with you. We'll be in chapters 4 and 5 this morning. Last week we began in the book of Judges. And, and one thing we quickly learned about this book is that it tells of, about a, uh, of a very dark and rebellious time history in the Israelite nation. It tells of a time when, between when Joshua passes away and before the kings are appointed and before they come on the scene. And last week we, we saw how the previous gen generation that was led by Joshua and the elders, uh, that that generation knew and served the Lord. But what that generation failed to do was to make disciples of the next generation. They failed to pass on the commands of God, the nature and character of God, describing who God is and why He should be worshipped. They failed to do that. So this new generation rises up. And, Gen and, and Judges 2.10 says, a, a new generation grew up who knew, who knew neither the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. And because they didn't know the Lord, they most certainly didn't serve the Lord. Instead, what we learn is that uh, what they did what was... It was evil in the sight of the Lord. They turned and worshipped other gods. They became like the Canaanites, or in other words, they became like the world. And they in turn did not reflect the character and the nature of God and how they lived. So God, in His judgment, allows the enemies of Israel to come in and oppress the people. And then the people cry out for help. God raises up a judge. Uh, that judge delivers the people. The judge passes away, though. And so then the people goes, go right back to uh, living for themselves, living and doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So this cycle just goes throughout the book of Judges. And where we are today is to look at a couple key people um, in this story. Today we're looking at Deborah and Barak. The next couple weeks we'll look at Gideon and Samson, judges that the Lord raised up. And one continual theme we see in the Old Testament and one that's throughout Scripture is that God often uses unlikely people to accomplish His purposes. 
In fact, I would venture to say that unlikely is a characteristic of anyone the Lord uses in the kingdom. He uses an elderly couple of Abraham and Sarah to father this nation. He calls out Moses to approach Pharaoh, and Moses wasn't a good speaker. Then we skip ahead in the storyline, and we see the the Lord using people like David or Jeremiah or Mary or Joseph or, or Peter or John or any of the disciples for that matter. Or we look at Paul, an enemy of the Lord, and God saves him and then uses him as a missionary and a church planter. Unlikely would be an understatement. And until Jesus returns, the Lord is taking ordinary people, saving them, empowering them, equipping them with the Spirit, and then sending sending them on a mission, using them to reach people with the good news and using them to serve cross-culturally, using them in schools and workplaces to be salt and light. I was talking to a pastor from Dallas this last week, and uh, before he was working at his church, he spent several years in in, uh, corporate IT And so I was sharing that I had spent nearly 10 years in the corporate world as well before becoming a pastor. And he said, it's good to talk to another corporate refugee is what he called it. All right. And we laughed because neither one of us expected, anticipated this to happen. All right. God's got a good sense of humor. I'm still trying to laugh with that. All right. But God's just been so gracious and neither one of us expected it, but God did. And so we're grateful in that. In the days of Acts, when the early church was starting out, one of my favorite verses in Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These were the leaders of the new church, a worldwide movement of Jesus, and they had no formal training per se. But the people could tell they'd been with Jesus. They'd spent time with Jesus. They're in relationship with Him. And that's my prayer for us as a church, that we'd be a people who would say, well, I'm not sure why the Lord chose me to worship Him and and serve Him, but He did. And And He chose me not because of anything of me, but He chose me simply because of grace, because of mercy, because of His goodness. And so in our confession of our ordinariness, that we would also confess of how Jesus is changing us and using us and transforming us. God uses unlikely people to accomplish His eternal purposes. And in Judges 4 and 5, we'll see that as well. We'll see a, a wise, godly woman be used by the Lord. We'll see her use her gifts to serve the Lord. We'll also see a man hesitate in trusting the Lord's commands, and, and yet God will still be faithful to accomplish His purposes we'll see the Lord use a very unlikely source to overcome an evil king or an evil leader. And we'll see these people, Deborah and Barak, in response to the Lord's work and His faithfulness, we'll see them respond in worship, not exalting themselves, but lifting up the Lord. Because for the, for the person who loves and worships Jesus, it's never about us. And throughout Scripture, it'd be really easy to see these people of big faith, to see them make it about them, but they don't. Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So according to Jesus, the greatest person ever born was John. And yet in the kingdom of God, greatest is found not in self-worship, but in humility. John was the one who famously said, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. And John was the greatest, according to Jesus. And even there, he's saying, he's got to increase. This is not about me. And we see that same mentality here in Judges 4 and 5 and in the person of Deborah. Uh, Chapter 4 is kind of the historical narrative. Chapter 5 is the poetic uh, song that tells the same story. Judges 4 opens up with this, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hegoam. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. And so we see this judges cycle happening of sin. The Lord allows oppression to happen. The people cry out. The Lord's going to raise up a judge here in a minute. But as I was reading these first few verses, here's what stood out to me. It says here that the people were oppressed for 20 years cruelly by this commander named Sisera, and that they were in this state for 20 years of oppression 
before they cried out for help. 20 years before they asked the Lord for deliverance. 20 years of them fighting, saying, I think we can do this on our own, before surrendering and saying, God, we need you. And that's exactly where some of us are at this morning. You've been rejecting the Lord for years, or maybe you've been trying to get victory over this sin or past, or maybe you've been trying to come up, uh, reconcile this relationship on your own, in your own strength, without asking the Lord for deliverance. As a staff, we're reading this book called um, Side by Side. Really great book in, chapter, in the chapter called We Are Needy. Okay? The author writes this, Our inclination is to live self-sufficient lives. When there is trouble, we first try to figure it out. Then we worry as if no one, uh, as if no one who cares or hears. Or maybe we give God the cold shoulder because he didn't give us what we had hoped for or we hide from him because we cherish sins in our private world. There are probably dozens of reasons why we resist calling out to the Lord. And then the author finishes with this. I know I resist asking for help. I prefer to give help and to keep my neediness to myself. This means that I'm slow to ask both other people and God for help. That is deranged indeed, but I am not alone. And this author is not alone, right? Because this is our tendency as well, that for a myriad of reasons, we resist or we just outright reject asking the Lord for help, let alone one another for help. And in this way, we are much like the Israelites here who took them 20 years to ask for deliverance. Okay, I guess we can't do this on our own. I guess we're tired, we're broken, we're worn out from doing this in our own strength. I guess we need you, Lord. We need your deliverance. We need your rest. We need your peace. We desire freedom, freedom from this oppression. And my prayer for us this morning is that you and I would not linger one more day and resist one more day from asking the Lord for help or asking one another for help, that we'd walk in the light, that we'd express our neediness before the Lord and we'd receive His grace, power, and rest. So it took them 20 years to ask for help, surrender, uh, their pride, if you will. And then, uh, what I also love is how you see this Sisera, the mighty army, 900 chariots of iron, it says. And that's not just kind of this random fact that doesn't mean anything, but this, this helps us get, uh, get perspective on the odds that are stacked against the people. It's so clear that they couldn't do this on their own. They couldn't overcome this enemy in their own strength. 900 chariots of iron, insurmountable odds, And so they cry out for help from the Lord. In His grace and mercy, He's going to respond. Verse 4, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between, uh, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. There are 12 judges listed in the book of Judges, and Deborah here is the fourth judge the Lord raises up. And so Deborah was sought out by the Israelites to help make these judicial decisions. They would come to this tree where she sat and said, what do, I, what do we do with this contract? What do we, what do, we do with this relationship conflict and, and those kind of things? She is unique in that she is the only woman judge and that she is unique in that she's not the person who leads the army into battle like the other judges do. She's going to summon and commission Barak to end up leading the army. She's going to speak the word of the Lord to Barak and commission him for that role. Verse 4 refers to Deborah as a prophetess. And Old Testament prophets and prophetesses were the mouthpiece for the Lord. They spoke the word of the Lord. They communicated his message to his people. And she's going to do that to Barak. And Barak will end up being the one who is referred to in in Hebrews 11 and 1 Samuel as as the judge because he's the one that's going to Uh, lead the military advance against the Canaanites. And yet Deborah was the voice of the Lord in his life, and we'll see that unfold here. Her actions really point to her trust in the Lord and her confidence in his ability to overcome and be faithful and be present. In chapter 5, verse 7, she will call herself a mother in Israel. So there's this tender care that she has for the people, a nurturing aspect. And so in Deborah, we see wisdom and leadership and tenderness and bold faith and the Lord will use that and in in, in those gifts and abilities for His purposes. And so the Israelites are oppressed. In verse 6 in Judges 5, we see that not only were the people oppressed, but the highways were abandoned. And Cicero was such an evil, evil leader that, that people didn't even travel because they didn't feel safe. 
And so out of that context, it says that Deborah arose as a mother in Israel. And then going back to Judges 4, verse 6, it says, She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? And so the prophetess will now speak the words of God to Barak. Go, gather your men at at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. And we would assume here that Barak would say, okay, let's go. Let's go. The Lord has said this. Um, I'll lead the army. Here we go. Instead, what we're going to see is instead of walking by faith, he's going to hesitate. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. He's reluctant to obey. He's hesitant to trust in the word of the Lord here. His faith stumbles. His courage is lacking. You've been there before? I think if you're honest, you and I have been. You read in your Bible some words of the Lord and you're like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can obey that. The Lord asks you to forsake some sin that you've been kind of cuddling with for years. Or uh, the Lord asks you to take some next step when it comes to generosity, contentment, loving your enemies, faithfulness, purity, these kind of things, goodness and patience. He's asking you to take some next step and you're reading it black and white in Scripture and you're like, "Mm, I don't know, I don't know if I can do that. And we hesitate and we're like Barak in that moment hesitating, kind of like that little kid that says, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. What we're going to see here is Barak eventually obey. But that initial reluctance is going to rob him of a blessing. It's going to cause the Lord to raise up another person, a woman named Jael, who will receive the honor from this battle that's about to happen. And so Deborah responds in verse 9. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. So Barak will receive no glory from this, battle that's, from this battle that's about to begin. The one who will eventually kill the enemy, Sisera, won't be him. And yet, we'll see him obey. We'll see him walk by faith. We'll see the Lord still use him, even though initially he hesitated. Because God's faithful. Verse 10, And Barak called out Zebulun, and Naphtali to Kedesh. And 10,000 men went up on his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Verse 12 then, when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harasheth Hegoam to the river Kishon. So here we go. The battle's about ready to begin. Verse 14, and Deborah said to Barak, up, For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Heresheth Hegoam. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. I love this consistent theme you see of Deborah, this woman of faith and wisdom who keeps lifting up Barak's eyes to say, listen, does not the the Lord go out before you? Isn't the Lord the one who will do the work that God will give you the victory? She's speaking faith, courage, vision into him. This is what God's people are to do. I don't know about you, but I can point to times in my life where I have uh, lagged in my willingness to walk and live by faith, where I needed what, what's called being spurred on. I needed to be spurred on. Picture of being spurred. Never been spurred before in my life. Um, don't plan on it. Don't have that on my bucket list. But spurring is not a pleasant experience, I can't imagine. This sharp pain, this initial thing, what's it do? It causes you to move. It gets you moving. It gets you going. Being spurred on could be like this hard word like Deborah saying, up. Get moving. Stop hesitating. In the New Testament, Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So the goal of spurring is not just to inflict pain. Like just walk around and 
just randomly spur people and like, oh, that felt good. That felt good to my pride. No, that's not what it's talking about here. It's saying we spurred on toward love and good deeds. And this is what we do in the body of Christ. We spur one another on, not just pastor to people. All right? This is spurring one another on. So this is you to your neighbor. This is brother to brother, sister to sister in the family of God, spurring one another on. Who do you need to encourage today? Who do you need to speak life into? Who do you need to kind of take by the shoulders and spur on, if you will? Who do you need to build up with your words? Who do you need to say, up, let's go. Let's remember who we worship. Let's remember the God who we worship. Barak ended up leading this army of 10,000, but it would not have happened if Deborah had not heard from the Lord and spoke the word of God to Barak. And the military would not have been, had been led had Barak not eventually said, okay, I'll go. She wasn't going to lead the military, but he wasn't going to move until he heard from the Lord. You see the, how we need one another, how we need one another to spur one another on. And so the Israelites have this total victory, and maybe you're thinking, what happened to the 900 iron chariots? They must not have been made of iron. How in the world did the foot soldiers overcome them? Well, you find out in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, it says this, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water. The Lord had it rain, so the 900 chariots were lodged in the mud. Supernatural, but that's how our God works. Nothing is beyond him. He promised that the people would have victory, and in the face of insurmountable odds, in the face of, this does not look good on paper, God comes through. You probably got something in your life right now that doesn't look good on paper. God's still faithful, even if that means that victory is eternal. But what about Sisera? God said that he would die by the hands of a woman. So how is this going to go down? Well, verse 17 says this, But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the king in the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me and do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. And, she, and he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say, no. In this story, you definitely see two types of leadership, right? You see this faithful, uh, wise, bold leadership of Deborah. And then you see this uh, cowardly and cruel leadership contrasted with Sisera here. He thinks he's safe because, uh, with jail because she's not a Jew. That her people and his people were at peace. She's a descendant of the in-laws of Moses. So she lived among the Canaanites, but she's a loyal worshiper of the God of Israel. And God is going to use an unlikely source to accomplish his purposes. When her opportunity comes to strike, literally, a blow against the enemy, she's going to take that opportunity because that opportunity is asleep in her tent. Verse 21, But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, then she, uh, then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness, so he died. I would, I would think so, yeah. <laughs> just, lo- just love the Bible. Like, in case you didn't think he did, he did. Um, and behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you were seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead. Again, just to confirm with the tent peg in his temple. So it was not Professor Plum with the candlestick in the dining room. It was jail with the tent peg in the tent is what it was, all right? When Barak hesitated to obey, God promised that he would, uh, he would not get the glory for uh, killing Sisera, that Barak wouldn't get that glory. It would be passed on to someone else. And then in verses uh, 23 and 24, you read that God subdued and eventually the people of Israel destroyed the Canaanite king. You get to chapter 5, which tells the same story, but in the form of a song, a song that Deborah and Barak wrote. And that song is a worship song to God who had delivered them, who had brought them um, 
down, who had bogged down the chariots, who had raised up Jael, who had raised up Deborah, who would used Barak in all of that, who would set his people free from the oppression. Because even though Deborah or Barak or Jael could have made it about them, they didn't. They lifted up God, and that's what you see in chapter 5 in this song that they write. The victory didn't, didn't cause them to beat their own chest. It caused them to worship. So what's the point of all this? What's, what do we walk away with, challenged or encouraged in, in this story of Deborah, Barak, and Jael? Well, first of all, uh, you, you see the Lord raising up people for His purposes, calling out people to obey and trust in Him. Deborah and Barak even sing of this in verses 2 and 9 in chapter 5. Chapter 2 says this, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Verse 9, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. God had raised up leaders who said, we'll go, we'll serve, we'll lead, we'll go into battle, we'll risk our lives for the sake of another. Plans A, or God's plan A, is to work through people to accomplish His purposes. There's no junior varsity in the kingdom of God. There's no junior varsity. If you're a Christ follower, you're empowered by the Spirit of God to be used by the Spirit of God. Notice that it was not just Deborah or Barak or Jael the Lord raised up, but here they're thanking God for leaders and commanders and the 10,000 soldiers who willingly serve the Lord. God uses various people with different roles and abilities to accomplish His purposes. It's not just about one, but all of them. This is the biblical principle that that God gives to us in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ. Paul uh, calling us out as the body, as, as different members and parts of the body, each doing their part. And when one part doesn't serve and doesn't interact and doesn't engage, then the body suffers. And the body's not going to be as healthy and effective as it could be. If you serve around here in some capacity, thank you. What you do is uh, valuable. What you do is vital. What you do is a part of the mission and the kingdom of God. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for offering yourselves willingly because in doing so, it's an act of worship. In Judges 5, you see how, how leaders went out and incorporated other people to come join the battle. But you also see this. Deborah and Barak make mention of people who just sat at home who sat along the shorelines, they say, why did you sit still? Why did you sit still? They, they sing of in chapter 5. And some of us are there. We're sitting still. We're sitting along the shorelines. We're not engaged in life and service within the body of Christ. You're a part of the body, but you're not engaged in the mission and the ministry of the body. And if that's you, and you're ready, like, okay, let's go, then, then tell that to us. Email, send the carrier pigeon tomorrow, send up the flare, call the office, figure out some way to communicate, say, here's some things I'm, I'm interested in doing. Could I, could I do these? Could I, could I be open? What do you think? And, and as a church and as leaders, we'll, we'll equip you and we'll appoint you into, uh, kind of get you connected to a ministry. You do your part by offering yourself willingly, like they talk about in, in Judges 5. We're going to finish with communion Um, A song, so they're singing a song here in Judges 5, and a song helps us remember, it helps them remember of who God is and how God's been faithful. And in the same way, communion, uh, the Lord called, uh, created communion so that it would help us remember. It would help us not forget His sacrifice, that His body was broken, that His blood was poured out for our deliverance from sin, for our salvation from judgment, for our freedom, joy, and delight. Judges 5, 25 through 27, again, tell how Jael took the life of Sisera. It says, He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent, her, uh, she sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Now, that may seem like an odd verse to lead us into communion, okay? But seen in light of the gospel... In the overall story of Genesis to Revelation, it's not odd at all. It just shadows, it points us to a greater story. If you're in jail crushing the head of the enemy, points us to that Jesus is appointed in Genesis 3.15 that he would step on the serpent's head and crush the enemy.
It was promised to us in Genesis 3.18 that He would be the one to overcome the enemy. The enemy has been beaten. In the end, evil does not win. The days of the enemy are, and, his, and His influence in this world are numbered. And if you're in Christ, the devil holds no power over you. The cross and resurrection, the cornerstones of our faith, declare to us that Jesus has won, that He has, been, uh, that he has beaten death, and that when we unite with Him in faith and repentance, we enjoy this promise that the sting of death is no longer. It's been removed. That we have victory in Christ. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. In communion, we remember that Jesus was triumphant, that He overcame the enemy. A woman named Jael overcoming a powerful military leader in the way that it happened is the most unusual of ways. But in the same way, the death of the Savior, the weakness of Him nailed upon a cross appears to be so backwards to how our world views victory and power. Victory actually comes through death. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of of God, And so the cross appears to be foolish to those who have not trusted in that sacrifice. But for those of us who have, we understand the power of the cross is what saves and sets us free and brings salvation. You don't have to be a member of Crosspoint to take communion. According to Scripture, you need to be a believer in, a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of you aren't yet. You're still seeking. We're grateful that you're here. This is not by accident that the God of the universe, the God that can bog down chariots with mud, is also the God still at work in your life. But if you're not a believer yet, we just encourage you to pass the elements on down the row. If the ushers want to come on up now, we'll take communion together uh, as one church family, the the elements together afterwards. And so use this time to pray, use this time to thank the Lord, and uh, let's respond in communion. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Father, thank you that in our sin and in our rebellion that you have pursued us, that in Genesis 3 that we see that you are making a way possible for us to enter back into a relationship with you, a relationship here in this life and a relationship for eternity. Thank you that your Son is the overcomer. Thank you that he is the one, the victor, the triumphant one, the one who steps on the enemy's head, crushes him. Thank you for that promise. For the areas in our lives where we are still doubting that promise, I pray that you would convict our hearts, transform our hearts, Lord. Help us to know that you are greater. That greater is you who is within us then greater than the one who is in this world. And thank you that in Christ nothing can separate us from that love. No power, no evil authority, nothing can separate us. Thank you for an opportunity we have here this morning to remember you in in communion, to remember sacrifice, remember the body and the blood and how it changes us. And how this is not just some um, motion we walk through, but how it helps us remember the gospel and the cross and the resurrection, which, which is still the power of God in our lives and in those yet to believe. I pray that you'd be glorified this week in how we live, how we speak, and how we love one another, and how we love and reach outward. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So afterwards, there are opportunities to support Compassion Kids, opportunities to say yes to VBS, opportunities to uh, learn how to to pray with uh, She is Safe 
and opportunities to spur one another on. So God bless. Have a good week.